Hello, Erica. Happy birthday, Stephen. It's my birthday today. It is. Happy birthday. I hope you're having a good day. <laughs> Being, uh, having birthdays at our age, um, ch- children of the 70s that we are, means being sleepy by 9.30. I am also on medication, which <laughs> has, this is by far the sleepiest and wooziest and most out of it I've been when we've recorded in a long time, so apologies in advance. What a great idea it was of mine then to watch two reconstructed episodes uh, featuring mostly action and featuring mostly two characters, one of which who doesn't speak. Actually, that worked out great because it's just telesnaps. Uh-huh. So I could actually close my eyes fairly re- regularly and, you know, keep one of them half open to see when the picture changed and just open and say, oh, okay, that's Jamie's face again. Eyes closed. Right. Oh, okay. That's the Kemmel. Was that his name? Kemmel. Yeah. And then close my eye again. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And let Fraser Hines' narration take you home basically yep yeah as usual he he filled me in on all the doings and the happenings Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what did you think of these two episodes then well i'm kind of glad that you requested that we continue watching after the third episode because i didn't have a lot of good things to say about that one no first of all you have the doctor being like (laughs) very seventh doctory manipulative like he doesn't just let Jamie, you know, go ahead and do what he's going to do. He absolutely reverse psychology manipulates him into it. And it just, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. That was an uncomfortable scene, that Mm -hmm. argument between him and Jamie, wasn't it? Yeah. I like to see them getting along as friends. If they're arguing, I would want it to be for a good reason where they both, you know, are trying to learn from the other one and come to an agreement. This was simply the doctor doing a put on to get Jamie into the position that he wanted. And one of the things that I liked so much about Jamie is that he's not dumb and they rarely treat him as if he is a simpleton, or at least they have so far. And here, and I mean, you could argue that it's just, it's, it's that the doctor is so much more advanced than any humans, blah, blah, blah. But it really does still paint Jamie as an easily manipulable rube mm-hmm. a bit. I still don't think he is one, uh, but it's just that I feel like this ep- that episode made me feel it, or wanted me to feel like he was. I don't know. It was just, it was... It made him kind of predictable mm-hmm. in the doctor's eyes. Yeah, and then the, the doctor just goes along with it. And yeah, yeah, sure, he's got his reasons, whatever, but mm-hmm. I... I, I just didn't like that. That's 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 one of the big reasons that I don't like the Seventh Doctor's era at all. Uh, that's just not something that I appreciate. Why I enjoy watching in a Doctor. So while Patrick Troughton is doing the things he's doing well, you know, from an acting perspective, this is not a story where I like the Doctor very much. In a way, it's almost like he trusts Jamie enough to do the right thing. That he knows that if he was to tell him the truth, Jamie would not he would like use his loyalty to the doctor to sort of like you know try to rescue the doctor before he sort of tries to rescue Victoria I think and I think the doctor knows that Jamie will come through in the end and thus he's going to you know unfortunately manipulate him here I I wish that I mean I wish all the missing episodes were back but you know his his tone that he talks to uh um 
is it Waterfield who was also like sort of like you know nice job um, dropping in the bit about the south wing but I'd still like to have seen his Troughton's facial expressions if there was like a sign of like a tinge of regret or something knowing what he had to do we didn't get that in the vocal performance but maybe that came through visually I don't know Maybe. I mean, that whether he regrets it or not, I don't. It doesn't make me like it anymore. Mm-hmm. Even if he, you know, he had faith in Jamie that Jamie would come through it. Yeah, sure. I believe that he does that. I believe that the seventh Doctor has faith that Ace is going to, you know, do whatever it needs to get done. Right. Doesn't make me want to watch it. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to turn it off and go do something else. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was part of it. And then you have the character who, especially in episode three, I was just appalled you get you know a a rare person of color in 60s doctor who and it is the absolute worst like stereotypical use it is a big strong man of color who is then demonstrating his physical strength taking off of his off his jacket bending metal i have expected the dalek to come out and check his teeth Mm -hmm. i was just it made me feel sick to my stomach. And he's dumb too. Like oh. dumb is in not being able to speak. Yes, yes. And he's and he's not even like a- allowed to speak. It's just you have you have taken away just it, all agency, all everything. It was it made me really upset, and I just didn't really want to watch anymore. Um, it does get a little better in the next episode where he 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 still doesn't get any lines, obviously, because he can't speak. But he's given some character depth which is nice. Um, he He's able to make friends with Jamie. Um, but still, like, you get the... You know, he's gotten a flower from from Victoria, mm-hmm. so he likes her, which on the one hand is kind of a nice thing, but on the other hand, it just it feels a little bit like Frankenstein and the little girl. Yeah. So it's still very, very just sort of rooted in an uncomfortable stereotype of, you know, the mute monster who oh look the monster actually has a a human side mm-hmm. oh my god surprise surprise he's a friggin human mm-hmm. so uh so yeah i'm not uh i'm not as much in love with this story as i was before no that uh that that, that to be fair to doctor who that's not a trope that uh exists only in this story and in this show it's mm-hmm. a thing that sort of was a thing uh, yeah. around this time um and this this part is most definitely of its time. Yep. Which, you know, as we've talked about before, that's that's not an excuse. It's nope. a it's a reason. It's not mm-hmm. an excuse. Uh and it doesn't it doesn't make it doesn't make it any better. So it is something I have to endure rather than enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um I can still enjoy other parts of the episode and recognize the parts that are problematic. Um I just didn't there wasn't that much that I found enjoyable. <laughs> In these in these two particular episodes, right. um, we got some more of Molly. I do like Molly. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting uh, when you look at it, sort of from a class perspective. Uh, you've got two characters who are not from the upper crust, and Molly is one of them. And she's she's just kind of delightful. You know, mm-hmm. she wants to help Jamie. She's enthusiastic, and I really really like her. Uh, but on the other hand, we get what was his name? Tyler Taylor. Toby. To- Toby. Yes. Uh, yeah. And he is just like stereotypical, you know, he's he's from the lower class. He's got a, a different accent and is just a thief mm-hmm. who's just out to get whatever he can. Uh, yeah, not not the greatest. Interesting how there's a parallel between, you know, a thief in 1966, uh, you know, working for Waterfield or that, you know, and stealing trying to steal things from a safe and getting shot by a Dalek 
and here's Toby in 1866 trying to steal from the uh, rich people and getting shot by a Dalek. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, this story isn't so great if you're not from the uh, upper crust <laughs> and it's actually it's not so great for you necessarily even if you are we almost had uh, Waterfield getting shot in the back by by what's his face whose name I can never remember um uh oh Maxtable yeah Maxtable what a weird name sorry <laughs> I just can't get past that uh who I said at the very beginning was a big old bleep hole and guess what I was right yeah. <laughs> yep so they they telegraphed that very well he's and then but you know what it was kind of disappointing finding out that the great secret that he wants the answer to is just like you know the old alchemical being able to change um, lead into gold or metal into mm-hmm. other metals into gold which you know I, and I that's it is kind of a cool historical thing that that's something that people have been trying to do for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years but I was hoping it was going to be something more pure sciencey right whereas it's you know, pure mythology well, I guess I mean but it just it, the the fact is that it boils down to to money mm-hmm. I mean there's I guess you could maybe argue that there's there's a hint of science in it. He wants to to know the process to be able to to do this, and and that's part of it. But really, when it comes down to it, what do you use gold for? It's currency. It's money. It's to be able to gain more of the power and stature that this guy clearly already has. So, yeah, it wasn't the you know not that like you know say take the Ronnie for example who is a, a wonderful villain, mm-hmm. but it, like. <laughs> science for the sake of science just stay out of my way so what if i have to kill a bunch of people it's it's science like that's not good either Mm -hmm. but to me that's a much more interesting villain than somebody who wants to turn lead into gold yeah maxwell's just an industrialist who's probably made you know hundreds and thousands of guineas off of the spinning jenny or something like that or owning some (laughs) factory full of dickensian children yep and now we've got the, the guy uh the fiance Arthur Terrell Terrell yeah who is somehow being controlled by the Daleks or something mm-hmm. um who you know he has pains in his head and the doctor is trying to record Jamie's thought patterns or something and you know it's all going somewhere and that that stuff is, I think would be interesting interesting if I wasn't so distracted by the things that are just making me irate mm-hmm. so yeah Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, if they're, they're trying to sort of like the, the thrust of these two episodes. They're trying to pin down what the human factor is in Jamie. And they're seeing like what, what, you know, what lengths would he go to to help save another human? What look at the pitfalls that they avoid because of his cunning and, you know, all that. And the doctor sort of commenting on it and, and plugging away on the buttons on film in episode four because he pre-filmed that because he was on vacation in episode four actually which might explain why he was in so little of episode three because he was off during rehearsals of that shooting the film sequences in episode four because they were working one week out of broadcast at this point for another few weeks until the end of the story but what uh what i think the great thing about jamie here and this isn't to try to wash away the problems that you had with the episode but in dealing both with Molly and with Camel, he is, you know, he doesn't believe in class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
he's saying, I'll tell, keep telling you, it's Jamie, you know, but she, but Molly says, no, what would the master say? I have to call you, sir. That is. And he says, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Which is delightful, but also at the same time, kind of like shows what a place of privilege Jamie himself comes from. Because you know who cares? She does. Yeah. Because she needs to keep her job. Yeah. She needs to be able to eat and, you know, be clothed and have a roof over her head and stuff. So so while it's very sweet of him, and I, I, I appreciate that, it also is a demonstration of the fact that he is still, you know, a... a a straight white male from an upper well we don't know for sure if he's from an upper class family but he definitely was uh you know friend friendly with the laird mm-hmm. um in the place that he came from so yeah that's true i mean he's not i don't think he's from the the best mm-hmm. upper because he's you know in a rebellion and everything like that right but i mean yeah. t- still you don't necessarily when you're in a rebellion you're not measuring your own class necessarily against mm-hmm. the classes of the people on the other side yeah yeah, in, in in retrospect now, I didn't have a problem with this at the time, but I don't think I realized as much at the time. But in the Shakespeare Code, there's two times where the Doctor in the new series where Doctor Who goes into the past with a companion of color, Shakespeare Code and then Thin Ice. And, you know, in the Shakespeare Code, Martha goes, you know, but, you know, we're in 1599, you know, I'm... I'm black Mm -hmm. and the doctor just sort of goes oh just walk around like you own the place and that was a very in retrospect that was a very privileged attitude Mm -hmm. to have for a straight white guy to just sort of oh I can just walk around and do anything you should be able to that's clearly not the case whereas in Thin Ice they deal with it much more differently and Mm -hmm. and, and Capaldi's doctor is very you know regretful about the era that he's uh, that he's landed um, Bill in yeah um, and so there's that's kind of the same kind of sensibility that I think you're raising when it comes to Jamie and sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, saying, oh, don't worry, Camel, we're the same. But really, you know, Camel's probably had his whole life being, you know, paraded around, you know, stripped and oiled and, you yeah. know, d- demonstrating his prowess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of, the, one of the, the trophies of imperialism, mm-hmm. which, you know at the time in 1866 was certainly a thing oh, yeah. you know they even mentioned the Crimean War uh, which the Turks fought in as well so there's a certain you know there's a certain imperialist theme going on in this whole and I, I'd like to think that it's you know it's intentional on the part of David Whitaker and the writers but I also think it, it is 1967 and I think they're just sort of as you say using the old tropes that kind of Frankenstein um, was created on and you know the, the, the salt a tall silent brute mm-hmm. with a heart of gold um mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. but it, i i have to say I, I do actually really enjoy in episode four the scenes between jamie and kemmel uh as they are you know developing their their comradeship camaraderie yeah i guess that's a uh, tough word to spell by the way i always <laughs> screw it up <laughs> thank god for spell check yeah. uh but i do like it i like i mean it's you know, it's it sucks that we have this character of color who then is not allowed to speak. But at the same time, it's kind of nice to have a character with a disability, um, you know, yeah. achieve some visibility on on Doctor Who on television. And it's it's nice and I think interesting for me to see how, or at least you know, hear and see a couple of pictures of how Jamie and Kemal you know, communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Kemmel, he's literate. He can yeah. write, which I was a little bit surprised that both of them were. I didn't realize that Jamie was literate too. Um, maybe that was a common thing at, at the time, but he was like the piper in the army. I would, I guess I wouldn't have assumed that he would have been schooled. I, I, um, I wish I remembered the book. Uh, it might be the 
a discontinuity guide um, that mentions that perhaps, like I think they mentioned that Jamie reads now, and perhaps he's been taught to read in the TARDIS over the you know the course of the many adventures. Because I, I can't remember now. I want to trace back and how many times in the you know in episodes prior to this has he like had to read something. I think he had read something before, but I can't remember. So I think over. The, I think he has learned to read since joining the TARDIS, but they haven't really had anything on screen, mm-hmm. kind of like what they do with Leela, for instance, in, right. in the 70s, but yeah. Okay. So yeah, So and I mean, that kind of actually adds a little bit more interest and backstory to Kemmel as a character too. Like, oh, he's he's literate, so like there's more going on with him than just being the big silent brute. Unfortunately, he can't speak to us as the audience and, and give us any more of, uh, of that character development. Um, but it's, you know, it's a nice little hint. Anyway, so, you know, he writes that down and then you have him pointing to the corridor with him and Jamie to indicate that he wants to go together and to be friends. And um, I really did like the, the moment where, so, okay. So Jamie throws out the rope, brings him up, saves him. They have a little bit of a, a truce. Jamie continues on, goes into the room, leans down to pick up the, uh, the handkerchief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and suddenly, and we don't get to see this because you know, it's the telesnaps don't have a whole lot of pictures. But we hear Fraser Hines, uh, you know, now telling us that uh, that suddenly Kemmel comes in and smashes into Jamie and tackles him onto the bed. And I was like, wow, what just like big turn here. It completely, completely got me. And then then the description of the axe coming down and we feel, you know, it's just like turn and then another sharp turn. To say, oh, he, he actually saved him. So now they're they're buds. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed that. Um, just that moment of, of sort of shock that, whoa, whoa. Oh, yay. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really good. And yeah. And Jamie then helping him climb up the climb up the rope. Mm hmm. Yeah, so it, you know it's it's nice to see them working together, and it, it it is you know Jamie is just such a just such a good guy. Right. So despite the fact that he looks at everything from very much his own perspective, um, he's still a good guy, and he's still just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to get the good good job done and making friends while he's doing it. Mm-hmm. He's a lovely fellow. He is, and he takes charge. This is a very mm-hmm. Jamie-heavy couple of episodes while the Doctor sort of mm-hmm. sits back and observes and mm-hmm. pipes in information to the big giant computer desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, speaking of Jamie, like being a nice guy who makes friends, like the first thing that he does is he reaches out to help from, uh, to find help from Molly. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes to somebody that he knows and, and likes in the household who might be able to help him. And sure enough, she can, you know, she finds a, there's like a blueprints of the house yep. <laughs> stuff she's able to, to bring to him. So, so it's, it's good. He doesn't, he doesn't have that sort of macho hero thing going on that you get from a, a lot of male characters from time to time um, in, in everything, but even just in Doctor Who. Uh, no, you, this is, Jamie's a team player. Mm-hmm. He's totally a team player and that's just wonderful. Yeah, and he cares enough about about Molly. You know, do you want me to see you back to your room? Yes, yes, I love that. But at the same time, was like when she says no, I'm fine. He he takes her at her word yeah. and is like, okay, you know, you're you're if you're good, you're good. But I am here for you if mm-hmm. you need me. Like he's a he's a modern man. He's in, become a Renaissance man, yeah. this 18th century buccaneer. Yeah, yeah. In in a way that some modern men really aren't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's sort of refreshing and weird. Mm-hmm. It is. Well. I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you you turned around and and sort of started to like parts of the story mm-hmm. after the troublesome episode three. Yeah, they're just 
the problem was is that you know in in this era of 60s doctor who you get these 25 minute episodes and sometimes not a lot would happen and like you said a lot of this was was action and that episode was just full of the seeds of all of the things that made me so feel so icky in my tum tum mm-hmm. whereas uh then we get into to the fourth episode where things sort of open up and you get some more character development for some of these things and and yeah so I'm glad that we moved on and I didn't have to just like sit there and wait in a vacuum for however many days or weeks before we watch the next episode. So good work, dear. Oh, well, I, I do my best. Um, also interesting how little the Daleks are in the, this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, their name's in the title. Yep. So that's all you need yep. to, for it to count as a Dalek story. Part of me almost wonders if Toby is there purely to get exterminated, mm. just, to just to give him something to do. Literally give him something to do. I mean, because he because Toby really doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. He he kidnaps Jamie, but then is admonished for it. And mm. like the next scene, Jamie's back in the house again, mm. and then Toby steals something or tries to at any rate and gets killed. You know, it doesn't really affect Arthur Terrell that much. Well, I mean it. It gives us our first opportunity to see Terrell acting in two completely different ways. In like, you know, and he specifically asks, you know, where is Victoria Waterfield? So we get a bit of a clue there. Right. So I mean, yeah, there were there are certainly ways you could cut Toby entirely out of the mm-hmm. story without losing anything huge. But I think that the some of the things that we did get are are worth it. Yeah. It was it was really interesting, I thought. The first scene with Terrell when he was, you know, he can't see him, but vocally his performance seemed really, really different, starkly different between his wavering, quavering voice asking about Victoria mm-hmm. and then, you know, the the pain strikes in and then he just is speaking like a completely different character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on when he's flipping out on Molly, like he's, you know, all angry. I think I think having that establishment of of something going on with him was was really was really an important thing. Plus, you know, Toby was the mechanism by which Jamie was removed at the end of the the earlier episode to give us a cliffhanger. Yeah. You know, he Toby pulled his weight for the short time <laughs> he was around. He he served a function mm-hmm. basically in this episode. Yeah. And really, you know, what are side characters there to do? Fill a function exactly. like that's 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 what they're there for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a casting note. Did you? Uh, I, <laughs> it's a silly question because I don't think you've ever seen him without the costume on. But did you recognize the actor who played Kemal at all? I I ask only so I can tell you. <laughs> I I did not. I don't think so. Do tell. It's Sonny Caldenez. Really? Yes. He played uh, Ice Warrior and Ice Warrior, Ice Warriors. Yes, in all four classic series episodes, he played an Ice Warrior. Um, so, but this is his first appearance. He also appears in The Spy Who Loved Me as well. Is a big, strong um, guy who's a guard who gets beat up. I think I can't remember. Can't remember if he has any lines there either, <laughs> actually. But uh, it's a. Uh, I don't. I don't know how where this tale comes from uh, I won't repeat who I heard it from for fear of reprisals reprisals <laughs> but apparently the the ice warrior voices in the monster of Peladon that were of Sonny Caldenez's um, character 
uh, were actually overdubbed by Barry Letts because Barry Letts wasn't happy with how Sonny Caldenez was doing it. And so he overdubbed the, I swear, yes, that lot. And that was Barry Letts, apparently. So the story goes. So Sonny Caldenez just doesn't get to speak, period. Just never gets to speak, period. He's got a, he's uh if I've seen him on documentaries, he's on a couple of the box set documentaries for the Ice Warrior stories and he's I think he comes from uh um the Caribbean originally because he's got a very uh Caribbean kind of accent. So perhaps maybe he couldn't uh couldn't quite lose the Caribbeanness of his accent for the you know, playing an Ice Warrior. Um I, I hope that wasn't the reason why they made him a mute in in this episode but uh well i mean i i suppose a a caribbean accent is kind of far from a turkish accent when you think about it pretty far geographically too yeah also true Mm -hmm. so there um all right then anything else about uh about these two no i just hope that you're having a happy birthday i am you're not as tired as usual mm-hmm. uh, at the end of a podcast recording as you are at the beginning, mm-hmm. aka the end of us watching a Doctor's story. So, I know I was I was literally ready to just fall over and fall asleep, but then as we've been talking about it, you know, I got my blood up, I got my back up, yeah, um, and then I got just interested in the discussion because it's always fascinating to talk about Doctor Who with you. You make me, you you teach me things and you make me think about it in a way that I would not otherwise. So it's really good that we're doing this podcast i agree i kind of want to watch another episode tonight oh i'm so tired you're tired again see (laughs) this is how it works i mean i wouldn't i'm I'm less tired than when we started but i'm still pretty tired if we watch another 20 some minute episode i don't know if i'll be awake at the end of it but it's your birthday so if you want to try maybe we'll try no promises Mm -hmm. but thanks for watching two episodes at the very least with me on my very special day birthday guilt is such a powerful motivating factor for me i am such a sucker you are you're my sucker (laughs) yes i am (laughs) goodbye goodbye